Welcome to the Jason Tim Podcast. Thank you guys so much for taking time out of your Wednesday to hang out with me. I'm super happy today um, because I know for a fact that the Wi-Fi, although I'm jinxing myself here, that the Wi-Fi is going to hang in with me through this podcast because I am no longer at the house that I was trying to re- uh, record at the last few weeks. Um, until I can get that situation remedied, I am at uh, the place where I grew up. I'm in my old childhood bedroom, <laughs> so there's some nostalgia here, but I've got, I, I just set up a, a brand new mesh Wi-Fi network um, for my parents here so I could take advantage of that just to kind of float me until I can get the Wi-Fi situation fixed out where I'm living right now. Um, but I was super excited. Uh, Tommy is really busy with work this week, so he was unable to record with me this week. Um, so I'm just going to be going solo today and then Raj and I are going to be going on Friday morning and then Raj and I talked about maybe doing one of those locker room chats after the Clippers Lakers game on Sunday, uh, which is exciting. I'm excited to try that out because I haven't done the locker room thing before, but I think it'll be interesting. And then we can give some of you guys a chance to hop in and actually ask us questions directly. Um, but so today I just want to, um, kind of stay really macro. I'm not going to dive too much into analysis and just talk about some, um, macro NBA topics. I wanted to talk about for like two seconds about the, uh, this JJ Reddick thing. Cause I think it's super interesting. And then, uh, um, uh, the, I want to talk about this thing with KD and the nets and just some of the discourse surrounding, you know, people getting really upset about him being on a really good team, how I feel about that. And then I want to talk about a couple of these buyout candidates. We're going to do that at the beginning, the little bit of analysis type stuff. Um, and then at the end, I wanted to respond to a little conversation that was bouncing around Twitter today because of the Dan Lebetard show uh, surrounding just some of the differences between LeBron and Steph. Um, but I want to start with the buyout stuff. So because uh, the, the story just came down from Shams that uh, uh, the Lakers are expecting to um, uh, the Lakers are expecting to play Andre Drummond upwards of 30 minutes a night and that it might end up sending Marcus Gasol out of the rotation. And it's interesting for uh, a bunch of different reasons. Uh, for starters, you know, when the Lakers got to the playoffs last year, because Andre Drummond kind of fits more of that JaVale McGee, uh, Dwight Howard type of role. He's not your, uh, uh, when the Lakers wanted to be more versatile, they played a lot of Markeith Morris last year, and they played a lot of Anthony Davis at the five. So even if Marcus Gasol was entirely out of the rotation, the idea of playing uh, uh, Drummond 30 minutes a night doesn't really make a ton of sense to me. Uh, but I think, you know, first of all, in this stage where where uh, Anthony Davis is not playing, I still expect to see a lot of Marcus Gasol. And I, I would imagine that because Marcus Gasol has been playing so well, as I pointed out the other day, he's still shooting over 40% from three in his last, I can't remember exactly, something like, his do, uh, like a dozen games on like four attempts per game. So he's still shooting really well. He's a really high IQ defender. He always ends up in the right spot. And then he adds all of that, you know, uh, uh, playmaking ability from the top of the key. It's one of the biggest things that, that, that allows the Lakers to run their off-ball actions is having somebody like uh, Marcus Gasol at the top of the key to make post-entry passes to Montrez, to uh, allow back cuts from the guards who are usually not that great at creating their own shots. So getting them off the, off the ball and on the move is a, is a way to kind of unlock them. Um, so I still think Marcus Gasol has to play. Um, uh, but it'll, it'll just be interesting to see. And it all comes down to attitude. You know, there was something a little weird about what Frank Vogel said in that presser, you know, just about how like everyone in the locker room loves Mark. 
and we he's he's such a pro and all this other stuff. There wasn't anything where he directly came out and said Marcus Gasol is okay with the fact that his minutes might be cut. Um, so I hope it's not something that he dislikes. And if it costs the Lakers Marcus Gasol, if he ends up getting bought out, uh, that would make me really sad because I, I do think that he brings uh, some versatility in the playoffs for them. Um, uh, but I, I also that doesn't change the fact that I think Andre Drummond is going to be really effective. And I've been watching a lot of tape on him. Uh, as of late and I'm really really excited to watch tonight's game uh, because I think you know he's he's infusion of talent on a team that without LeBron and AD is at a talent disadvantage and so getting him in a situation like this where you know in this first couple of weeks I do think there will be some sloppiness you're going to see a little bit of that Cavs Andre Drummond him throwing up crazy shots you're going to see a little bit of that until LeBron and AD get back but the infusion of talent is unmistakable and and gives them a little bit better chance of stealing games that are in that fringe. You know, it's easy for them to beat Orlando when they're as shorthanded as they are. They're e- it's easy for them to beat Cleveland with as bad as Cleveland is. But a team like Toronto, who's slumping uh, and has traded some guys, but they are still a well-coached team that plays extremely hard and has a certain amount of talent, that's a fringe game that with Andre Drummond, the Lakers have a chance to steal. And uh, another example of a game like that is like the New York Knicks. In years past, the New York Knicks, that's a win. Uh, uh, but with uh, this year, with as well as they've been playing, that's not an easy win. And my guess is without Andre Drummond, that's a game the Lakers would lose. And Andre Drummond, the infusion of talent, gives them a better chance of winning that particular game. And when you look at the standings, as crazy as things have been, thankfully, because the Bucks keep losing games, and the Clippers keep losing games. And Kyrie, you know, the Nets lost a game the other day because uh, when Kyrie was out, like the there's still some inconsistency at the top of the the Lake uh, at the top of the NBA standings. And the Lakers are only two and a half games out of the number two overall seed, which is insane. Two and a half games out of the number one overall seed. And what that means is like you know if you can steal that game against the Raptors. If you can steal that game against the New York Knicks, now all of a sudden you have an opportunity to bring LeBron and AD back, you know, like in a month and still be potentially within, you know, four games of the number two overall seed. That That is at least within, you know, that gives you a puncher's chance at making a run to get back up near the top of the standings to hopefully get yourself in a position where you don't have to play a Utah or a Phoenix uh, or the Clippers or Denver in the first round, uh, which to me would be ideal. Uh, obviously, I still would pick the Lakers out of the West as long as they're healthy, regardless of what their seed is. Uh, uh, but you know, uh, they have a chance here to to kind of uh, to to kind of rectify some of that. A question in the comments says, "What's the biggest strength Andre Drummond uh, brings to the Lakers?" To me, it's size and physicality. It's really that simple. The biggest thing that the Lakers brought to the table last year was just ridiculous size and physicality. They traded some of that out when they let go of of Javale and Dwight in favor of some more skill. You know, bringing in Marcus Saul, who's a much more skilled big. Montrez Harrell is not as physically imposing as a big but that is more skilled in isolation, a guy that could actually attack mismatches and score, a guy who was a a really, really good offensive rebounder. Now you bring in uh, uh, Andre Drummond, and you're kind of getting a better version of Dwight to bring back that physicality while still having the Marcus Saul and Montrez Harrell on the roster for the more skilled options in the front court. And, you know, this is what I think is super interesting about the LaMarcus Aldridge signing. 
when you're in a playoff series, it helps to just have other options. It helps to just have you know other cards in your deck that you can go to when things aren't working out. It's counters. It's audibles. That's the way these playoff series works. You move a guy in and out of the starting lineup. You move a guy in and out of the rotation. You shrink your rotation. You simplify things. You overcomplicate things. You do whatever it takes to try to regain control of a series that's slipping out of your grasp. And even though, yeah, LaMarcus Aldridge is not a great defensive player. Yeah, in their switching scheme, he's going to get attacked a lot. But the same could be said about a lot of the guys on that roster, especially in that fifth starter position alongside, you know, uh, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, uh, James Harden and and uh, and Joe Harris. So that fifth guy is, is going to be flawed no matter what. And having a guy like LaMarcus Aldridge on your roster, that just gives you another angle that you can go to. OK, Blake's knee is swelling and he's not going to be able to play in the first round. We can go to LaMarcus. Jeff Green goes super cold, and he's not making shots the way he used to. We can go to LaMarcus. Uh, you know, game one and two of the series, our bench lineup to start the second quarter can't score. Uh, we're gonna go. We're gonna go to LaMarcus Aldridge. Having that just options in the deck is is the best way to give yourself a chance to adjust over the course of the playoff series. I thought LaMarcus Aldridge was the best buyout guy available. Don't get me wrong. As a Laker fan, you should be stoked to have Andre Drummond, and I do think he's going to do a lot for the Lakers. However, I thought Aldridge was clearly the most talented player in that set. But that sort of versatility is the same thing that the Lakers gain with Andre Drummond. It's just an option. They can go huge, and they can play you know, uh, uh, LeBron and Alex Caruso and Kadavius Caldwell-Pope and Anthony Davis and Andre Drummond and just have a ridiculously big, versatile defensive lineup that just swallows teams up. Or they can go small with AD at the five and LeBron at the four. Or they can go big but more skill-oriented with like a guy like uh, um, uh, Dennis Schroeder at the point and with Marcus All at the five. They have all this versatility that they can go to now, and I don't think you can have enough of that. And so I, I hope that Marcus All doesn't get too upset about the role that he's in and that he hangs in there because I do think that he can be a real advantage for the uh, for the Lakers moving forward. Uh, I saw the Clippers sign DeMarcus Cousins, and and uh, it's interesting to me because you know if you t- if you were to jokingly uh, build a list of the guys and the moves that you would hope the Clippers would make as a Laker fan. Uh, 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 in hopes that they would not maximize their talent, you would have said Rajon Rondo and DeMarcus Cousins, which is funny because DeMarcus Cousins, I feel terrible for the guy. He said he's been dealt a really shitty hand of cards, but the truth of the matter is is he doesn't really bring anything on either end of the floor. He's nowhere near mobile enough uh, uh, to do anything other than spot-up shoot on offense, and on defense, he's absolute barbecue chicken. So I, I don't think he helps anything for them. Uh, any minute that they don't play Zubac at the five or or Serge Baca at the five, to me, feels like a, a win for the opponent. Uh, and then, you know, the Rondo thing has been super interesting because you're seeing mixed uh, opinions from everybody. I've seen, you know, uh, uh, about half of the analysts that I trust say, you know, this is hilarious. You know, Rondo's been garbage. There's nothing good that he brings to the table. This is going to hurt them. And then really people that I really respect is like, for instance, Zach Lowe uh, waxed eloquent in his most recent podcast about how Rajon Rondo undeniably uh, fit a need that the Clippers had. And I I think that's interesting. 
I, you know, my take on it is like, uh, there were a lot of really, really big plays and big shots and big games that Rajon Rondo had last year in a Laker Jersey, uh, four or five of which took place in the playoffs where he played really, really well. And it helped the Lakers get over the top, but the entire experience with Rajon Rondo was never about the good. Uh, it was about the bad that got mixed into it. It's all relative. It's like the Talon Horton Tucker experience. It's the same reason why Talon Horton Tucker, in my opinion, will fall out of the rotation. It's not about the good. It looks great when it looks great. Uh, and he attacks a closeout and makes one of his crazy behind-the-hand layups or uh, gets a steal with his ridiculously long arms and strong hands and, 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 and gets out on the break and makes a play. It looks great when it looks great, but because he's young and he's inconsistent, he makes these mistakes and the most important thing alongside LeBron and AD is consistency and, and getting guys that are going to uh, uh, do a, a kind of like toe a line of more consistent average play than the chaotic up and down that can throw your team off. There were games in the playoffs last year that I thought the Lakers lost, not because of Rondo, but largely because of Rondo, like where he where his turnovers, inability to make shots, inability to take shots because he loses his confidence and stops shooting. And then defensively he's one of he's one of those guys that when he's actually caring and giving a shit on, on defense, he looks great. But in entire playoff games he would go uh, crazy and gamble and get out of position and it would hurt the entire defense. Uh, and so I don't necessarily view him as a uh, as a guy who really helps uh, 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 the Clipper offense. So the, what the Clippers would tell you is that Rajon Rondo is a playmaker that will help set up Kawhi and Paul George and get people in the right spots. But I actually disagree with that because I don't think of Rondo as your stereotypical playmaker to get guys in the right spots in terms of stars. Where Rondo is good, because Rondo is an assist hunter. And what I mean by that is he's that guy that dribble, 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 dribbles, waiting for someone to cut, and he loves to throw that pass at the basket uh, for layups or or to an open shooter on the wing. He's not a he's not a uh, uh, like a run the offense kind of guy. He's a I am the offense kind of guy. And when it when he is creating shots and he is kicking out to shooters and he's hitting guys under the basket, it looks great. Uh, but when he's not getting as much separation and when he's not able to draw the defense towards him, which is what happened to him a lot in the playoffs last year, he doesn't look great. I always thought that uh, a guy like Ricky Rubio made more sense for the Clippers because he's a run-the-offense guy. He's the, we're looking for a Kawhi post-up here, but we run a, we want to run the Kawhi post-up when he has a mismatch. So we're going to get everybody to the right spot. I'm going to call this guy to go run a pin down and set a really hard screen on Kawhi's man to try to force the switch. And then we're going to clear out and then we're going to go down to Kawhi in the post. And now he's going to attack. That was always something that I I, like. There's a difference between assist hunting, in my opinion, and like true point guard play. And and that difference is why I I was never super stoked about what Rondo would bring to the table for any team and, uh, and why I don't think he'll be great for the Clippers. I could end up being very wrong. And like I said, I, I, I really, really respect uh, uh, Zach Lowe, and he seems to disagree with me. So if, if I end up being wrong, I'll happily admit that I'm wrong. Um, uh, but I, I, I don't think Rondo is going to really help them. Question from the comments says, do you think Rondo gets major minutes on the clips? I think his role is going to look really similar to what it did on the Lakers. I mean, like, could you believe how much Rondo played? He played a lot. There were stretches where Rondo would play 13, 14 straight minutes, and Caruso wouldn't see the floor. And, and so that that's where it gets tricky. I, I would imagine that it'll be a very a very similar role. 
Um, someone in the comments says he was able to do that in Boston, in my opinion, but as he's grown, he's become less of a true point guard in that regard. Well, in, in Boston, for starters, he was a lot more athletic. And, and then secondly, he was around such a huge set of egos that he wasn't allowed to dribble, 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 dribble. But the truth of the matter is, if you look back, that was part of the reason why Boston got rid of Rondo was because he kind of transitioned into that phase. There in like 2010, 2011, 2012, Rondo got out of that uh, um, uh, that kind of a style, that, that kind of a behind-the-scenes type of style that he had in 2007, 2008, 2000, or 2008, 2009, 2010. And that was part of the reason why that broke up. And it ended up being a problem with him everywhere he went. Uh, it's the reason why he didn't uh, uh, get along with Rick Carlisle. It's just this, he's, he's kind of like, he over-controls things. And the beautiful thing about what a point guard does, a good point guard, is there's he toes that line. Because the point guard has the ball in their hands all the time. And so a point guard that understands that even though I have the ball in my hands, I'm actually not in control. It's, me, it's about me ceding control to other people strategically at specific points. This guy hasn't had a shot in a while. we got to get him in a rhythm. Like, okay, LeBron has missed a few shots in a row, or Kawhi's missed a few shots in a row. How do I get Kawhi in a position where he can shoot again but have a better chance of succeeding so that he can get his rhythm going? Um, so, uh, But, I mean, I've talked too much about it already, but I don't necessarily think uh, that he's going to uh, change much. All right, so... Next, I wanted to really quickly talk about uh, J.J. Redick. So this is super interesting to me. The report comes out. It wasn't even a report. It came out on his podcast. You guys have seen it on the feed if you haven't looked already. Um, basically came out and said, I was uh, 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 I had requested a trade before the season, right after the Drew Holiday trade. And I contacted the front office and said I wanted to be traded. They said, why don't you come down to the team for a month? And if you uh, if you like it, then you can stay. If not, then we'll get you somewhere where you want to go. We'll either buy you out or we'll trade you to somewhere in the Northeast. And he talked about how um, because of the pandemic, anytime he goes into uh, anytime his family moves across the state line and they come back, they have to deal with this like quarantine stuff. And so he felt like um, uh, the front office was dishonest. Now, there's been a lot of slander uh, thrown at J.J. Reddick since this podcast came out talking about how he doesn't dictate that type of special treatment. And don't get me wrong, I agree with you. I mean, I would have liked J.J. Reddick as a buyout guy with the the Lakers, and I I still think he's a good eighth or ninth man in your rotation. But I I agree in the sense that he doesn't dictate what a star dictates. But people always forget about the human element in business. It's always easy to, to act as though everything is a business-only relationship. I work in real estate, so like when I sell a house, I make a lot of money. But there is a difference, there's a fine line uh, with whether or not someone is worth the trouble. And it's only happened to me a couple times since I've been in the business, but I have worked with people before where even though it is a big fat paycheck, I would never work with that person again because of how miserable they were to work with. There's a human element to all of this stuff. So you might pretend as though J.J. Reddick doesn't dictate this. However, dishonesty from a front office, that builds a reputation. And that absolutely can hurt you in the, in the back end. J.J. Reddick never would have given a damn if he went to them and said, hey, I want to be up in Brooklyn. And then uh, uh, you know David Griffin looked back at him and said, I'm sorry, J.J., I am obligated per my job description to do what's best for the team. 
And that means I might trade you somewhere else. I'm just letting you know up front. It's part of my job description. It would be wrong for me to this franchise to do anything else. At least then in that case, JJ Reddick will be like, well, this sucks, but I signed a contract to be here and this guy's just doing his job. When you break that barrier, when you cross the line into being dishonest, you start to build that reputation and that kind of thing gets to the point where people are going to be like, I would rather not work with you. And that's where it gets to the point where you're trying to sign a shooter to play with Zion and and the shooter, uh, maybe you offer just as much money as some other team elsewhere in the league, but that little bit of dishonest reputation that you build um, uh, ends up being a deal breaker and then that uh, and you end up missing out on deals down the line. And so what I think is interesting about that is like you've got you've got Zion who <laughs> foolishly all of these media companies are talking about what, how he should get out and go to a big market, which we've all agreed is stupid. There's every every single truly great basketball player ever has been able to build a brand, whether they live in Oklahoma City or whether they, whether they lived in Cleveland or anything, because they all live in L.A. during the summer and they all are touring for shoot with shoe companies around the globe. It doesn't matter. Uh, but you're you're already struggling with this concept that Zion may eventually uh, want to leave New Orleans, and now uh, and we all heard like Zion loves playing with JJ. Zion went on JJ's podcast earlier this year, and they talked at length about how much they enjoy playing with each other. And they uh, extensive stretches this year where they had success running dribble handoff actions where Zion would be a ball handler and all this other stuff. Like you, you mean to tell me Zion's not gonna? Uh, have a phone conversation with JJ and be like, Hey JJ, what happened? And and JJ's going to tell him what happened. And so I, I think like, I think, you know, David Griffin, David Griffin has a reputation as a great GM strictly because of something that LeBron did with, with the Cleveland Cavaliers. And a lot of the stuff he's been is non uh, done is nonsensical. Didn't make any sense to sign Stan Van Gundy. He was a, a coach that was from an, a bygone era in the, and, and was going to naturally struggle with defensive schemes and stuff that work in this era. Uh, and then and then you go and sign uh, you trade for Steven Adams, which whatever, but then you extend him. And, and that made absolutely no sense, given the fact that he doesn't uh, uh, shoot the ball well. And it, 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 Zion, Zion, Zion is literally running the best offense in the league over this most recent span. I can't remember the exact number of games, but the, the Pelicans are number one in offense. And he's doing that with terrible spacing in large part because of of the decisions that David Griffin has made. Uh, so I, 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 I think that that, that whole thing uh, is off to a really bad start in, in, the, in the Zion experiment. All right, so I wanted to talk about this Kevin Durant thing. So I myself sent out a tweet shortly after the LaMarcus Aldridge thing, um, foolishly comparing them to the, to the 2017 Warriors, and that was stupid. I was just overreacting. Um, but I just, where that came from, the place that that came from, was the simple fact that the that the uh, uh, the Brooklyn Nets were beating the shit out of everybody. They were beating the shit out of everybody uh, easily, limited without uh, uh, without Kevin Durant, and even in a lot of games without Kyrie Irving because they because James Harden is extremely good. He's one of the best. He's probably the best regular season player of this era. And uh, their switching defensive scheme is completely throwing everybody off because it's it's difficult to handle in one game sample sizes when you can't scheme for it night after night. And uh, um, a lot of the role players are playing better than we expected. Jeff Green, and uh, I, as I've said at length, is like the best veteran minimum guy in the entire league. 
He's consistently on veteran minimums, and then every team that he's on, he's plays like a $15 million a year player. Doesn't make any sense to me that a guy like Danilo Gallinari can go out and get 20 something million a year, but Jeff Green is going to get 2.7. Like, so, someone please explain that to me. And then Joe Harris is, is just one of the best spot up shooters in the league who can also make shots on the move and is an average to above average defensive player. So they, they're just way better than I thought. And so my tweet was strictly just like, Man, and then I talked about at length earlier about why I thought LaMarcus Aldridge was the best buyout candidate available. So I was just, you know, getting off my chest the fact that I thought it was crazy how talented this team is. And then Kevin Durant's coming back. You know, the guy who I don't think is the best player in the league, but the guy that a lot of people think is the best player in basketball is coming back and joining all of this. And so, you know, obviously there's a lot of crazy people, particularly in <clears throat> in the in uh, you know uh, the LeBron James fan base, which is massive and, and has a lot of uh, crazies in the fringes, they were constantly saying about how this is unfair and you know KD is always stacking the deck and blah 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 blah. And <clears throat> there are a couple things that I think are interesting about that. First of all, as I've said at length, LeBron also tries to stack the deck. He's just not as good at it. Like Kevin Durant, if he has a talent, it's that he's he he's good at putting this sort of thing together and he's done it in two different ways now he did it by straight up signing with the golden state warriors because of a cap spike uh and a team that had already won 73 games and came within a couple of uh, minutes of winning the title the previous year and then he did a different version of it here in brooklyn he's absolutely better at building that type of team however the flip side of that is like you know there is there is a reality a harsh reality to the way that we discuss basketball it's a team sport, right? It's a. It's not like <clears throat> comparing, uh, you know, uh, Jimmy Johnson to Jeff Gordon when you're strictly talking about a bunch of guys in identical vehicles racing in a circle under identical circumstances, and you have a and there's only one person involved, and it's very clear cut who the winner is. It's a team sport, and the only result that we have is team results. So all of us, myself included, and every single one of the millions of people on Twitter, they come up with their own opinion about how this one individual plays a role in the larger scheme of what the team is trying to do. And all of that is subjective. We do our best to try to build all of that together into a story of why we think player A is better than player B. But no matter what, it's subjective. It is up for debate. And the problem with Kevin Durant being so good at putting himself in situations where the team is so incredible, he makes it easy for the people who don't like him to undercut what he does on the basketball court. And and that's the thing that's funny is like LeBron, you know, because he's less good at it, he joined a Miami Heat team, you know, and didn't properly account for the fact that Dwayne Wade as a chaotic driving slashing guard was probably going to break down uh, and that had already experienced health issues in a previous season where his shoulder came out because he was falling on the ground like crazy. The, uh, he didn't properly account for that, and then the Miami Heat broke down. And so he, even though he won two titles there, there is a perception that surrounds what he did in Miami that made it look difficult. And the 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 stakes in like Game Six after Chris Bosh tore his abdominal muscle, and they're about to lose to the Boston Celtics. The the circumstances of the wheels coming off of what he tried to build in Miami forced him to play so incredibly well to save that team that now the entire perception surrounding that team is LeBron was amazing 
And that's the only reason why they won. Go on to 2013, same thing. They go to Game 7 against the Pacers. They go to Game 7 against the Spurs. They're down 10 in Game 6 in the fourth quarter. LeBron goes crazy. This is the the game he loses his headband. And then he scores an assist on every point in overtime. And then he goes off for 37 or whatever in Game 7 to barely beat the Spurs again. The perception around that team is LeBron was amazing and that's why they won. But because Kevin Durant has put himself in these situations where the team is so, so good, he hasn't had to be that good for the team to win. So now you can point to, oh, he he made a shot over LeBron in game three of a series that the Warriors probably would have swept if they tried hard in game four. And they probably would have gone undefeated in the entire playoff run. And then the following year, they literally BS through the entire season and they still uh, 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 win the title. Not defending nearly as well as they had in, in years past. Kevin Durant basically broke away from the offense and started doing crazy isolation stuff all the time. It was a problem that started to uh, build between him and Kerr. And and literally, the uh, even though they, they were nowhere near as good as they were the previous year, they didn't play nearly as well as they did the previous year, they still won. And so the perception surrounding that team, once again, is that they didn't need Kevin Durant. And then what do you know, in 2019, Draymond basically says that to Kevin Durant while calling him a bitch, and it continues to build that narrative. And now he finds himself in that situation again. Here he is in Brooklyn, and the uh, the team appears to be a championship contender without Kevin Durant. I, I'm not sure that I'd pick them over Philly, but there's a chance that I might pick them over Philly even if Kevin Durant never plays again. That's how good the team is. And so the downside to him being so good at building these types of teams is that he puts himself in this situation where that subjective analysis of, of what he brings individual, uh, individually to the team is, is, is different and it's clouded because now it just looks like he's kind of out there just doing KD stuff and the team's winning anyway. Whereas you look back at 2016 LeBron and 2012, 2013 LeBron, it's like, man, if he wasn't every single bit of the best version of what he could be, they would have lost, literally. They would have lost in the conference uh, finals against the Boston Celtics in 2012 if he wasn't amazing. They would have lost in the, in, the, in the finals against the Spurs in 2013 if he wasn't amazing. They would have lost to the, to, the, to the Warriors if he wasn't amazing. Even this Lakers season in 2020, when, when they were favored throughout, uh, but there was still a great deal of pessimism surrounding that team because the rest of the roster after LeBron and AD wasn't that talented. There was this perception like, oh, they might lose to Portland. They might lose to Houston. They might lose to Denver. Denver just beat the Clippers. Oh, like a third of the analysis uh, uh, analysts picked the Miami Heat to beat the Lakers. Now the perception is they overcame a lot of this stuff, even though that was probably the weakest of his four championships. And that's all it is, is like, you know, if you were a, if you're a simple man uh, in terms of, of the way you feel about the public, like Steph Curry is a great example of this. Steph Curry doesn't give a damn what any of you guys think. That's why he had Kevin Durant come on board in the first place. Steph Curry doesn't give a damn. He just likes winning basketball games. So he's more than happy not caring about your subjective analysis. Any subjective per- person who's in, uh, analyzing, and we're going to talk about Steph LeBron here in a second. Any subjective person looking at the Steph LeBron thing is like, 
yeah, you went three and one against him, but you added Kevin Durant for those last two. So it's not exactly an even playing field. So whatever the difference is between you and LeBron, it's certainly not three to one finals. It's some other sort of analysis. Any subjective person is going to say that. However, Steph doesn't care because he doesn't care what you think. And he doesn't care what I think. He's happy. He just likes winning. Kevin Durant's different. That's why he left the Warriors to begin with. He does care about that sort of thing. He might tell you he doesn't. He might come on Twitter and, and act a certain way. But he obviously cares about that stuff. Otherwise, he never would have left Golden State to begin with. So it's just, it's just unfortunate because now he's, because he's so good at this, picking a situation and maximizing it, because he's so good at this, he's put himself in, in a situation where if he wins the title again this year and James Harden and Kyrie play great and uh, LaMarcus Aldridge helps him off the bench and all this other stuff, there's going to be another trophy sitting in his trophy case and another finals MVP and another series where he maybe outplayed LeBron, even though people oversimplify that as well. There's going to be another one there where the vast majority of basketball Twitter is going to be like, all right, fine, you won again with a ridiculously good team. Uh, that, that's the unfortunate part. And, you know, again, this is shallow, but just as a basketball fan, I want to see Kevin Durant have his 2012 LeBron game six moment. I want to see Kevin Durant back against the wall going to lose unless he rises to the absolute peak of what Kevin Durant can be as a basketball player and he brings a team over the top. That's what we want to see. And it, 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 because that, that, that is what brings the best out of you. Like that, that, that performing performance from LeBron in that game, 30 in the first half LeBron never does that. He's never that aggressive of a scorer. He strictly did that out of necessity. The necessity, the stakes, the, 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 the fear of loss is what brings the best out of these guys. And so that's the thing. Like Just as a basketball fan, you'd prefer to see. And for the record, I might still pick the Lakers against this Nets team. I might. I feel like that'd be lying in the face of tons of evidence because of how good this Brooklyn Nets team has been. But we might see how how difficult it is for the Nets, and we might earn that respect for Kevin Durant this year. But it, it, but if it does look really easy, that's where you're going to have all that doubt creep in from all the people. But but if you're Steph, it's the reason why Steph doesn't care is he's like y'all aren't going to like me anyway, and that's the mentality that I would have if I was KD is like you guys aren't going to like me anyway. So I'm just going to win easy championships, and who cares what you guys think? I'm happy, and now I have three rings. That, that's the, the way that he should look at it. I just don't think he's necessarily wired that way. One last thing before we're out of here. Alrighty. Um, so the, uh, uh, I saw a tweet from, oh, this was from the Lebitard show. So I haven't actually listened to it yet. I've just seen you guys talking about it. But there was uh, apparently somebody on the Dan Lebertard show said that uh, if LeBron was swapped for Steph on this year's Warriors team, that they could win an NBA championship. That's obviously completely ridiculous. And this is the most frustrating thing about the LeBron and Steph conversation is everything everybody says is completely ridiculous. The other day, the Warriors literally won a game against the Chicago Bulls who are working in new pieces and are a bottom tier playoff team in the Eastern Conference. And everybody in Warriors Twitter was on the, the timeline saying that Steph Curry is the best player in basketball again. It's like they're operating from a complete, uh, 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 you know, asinine place themselves. But you've got all these other people on the other side that say equally crazy things about what Steph can't do. And it, and, it, and it ruins what should be a really interesting conversation, which is the difference between LeBron and Steph. 
For the record, coming into the season, I said Steph was the second best player in basketball. I said that because I also see the value that he brings offensively to a basketball team. The amount of attention he gain, uh, garners, the, the ability for other players around him to play an easier form of basketball because of what he does off the ball. All of those things, I believe it. And I do think he's arguably the best offensive player in basketball. I think him and LeBron and Nikola Jokic is another guy like this who are, are so unbelievably good offensively that you can build an entire system around them. And I would put them all on the same tier. The reason why I think LeBron is better, and it's, it seems shallow again, and it's something that you will never be able to argue with Steph fans about because they love that he's small. It's like part of his likability to them. Uh, but LeBron has this physical gear that he can hit in these playoff series that Steph can't hit. And, and it's the reason why there's always been this discernible gap between the two of them for me. Even when Steph is at his absolute peak, I think there's a gap between what he does and what LeBron does, and it's that physicality. I'll give you just a random example. Fourth quarter against the Denver Nuggets in Game 5, uh, uh, the, the Nuggets uh, almost come back there to start the fourth quarter. LeBron goes on his crazy run. In that crazy run, there's a play where he gets Jamal Murray on the switch. And he does an aggressive driving move to the right, and he does a really, really hard physical spin move. And in the spin move, he covers a ridiculous amount of ground. He starts outside the right side of the block and finishes outside the left side of the block on the spin move. And he knocks down this turnaround jump shot over the top. It was one of several jump shots that he hit at the end of that game. And that is the the physical gear that LeBron can hit that Steph is incapable of hitting. And it's the reason why I, I give him an edge over Steph in a lot of those cases. I'm not even talking about defense. There's a whole other conversation we can have about what LeBron brings defensively to the table. The most iconic play of his career is him hitting an extra gear physically to block a shot from Andre Iguodala that literally changed the, ends of the end of an NBA Finals championship series. So that's a whole other conversation. I'm not even going to get into that because I don't even think it's worth debate. There is a massive chasm between the two defensively. But even offensively, that physical gear matters. Because also at the end of the 2016 finals, Steph couldn't get separation. Now, people will tell you it's because of his knee. But for some reason, he was having no trouble getting separation against the Oklahoma City Thunder. And uh, he did have success in late round playoff series getting separation in, against, uh, in 2017 and 2018. But he had this whole other release valve in, in Kevin Durant that, that made it so that his physical wear and tear, what he was asked to do offensively, wasn't the same. But you saw it again against Toronto in the 2019 finals. He just wasn't quite as good at generating that separation in a really physical playoff series that wore down on him when he had a lot of playmaking responsibility. Meanwhile, LeBron James, you know, he's playing with the post player who also gets a lot of touches. But at the same time, LeBron was their primary offensive initiator on almost every possession. Yet he was able to hit a physical gear to create shots off the dribble that Steph isn't able to hit. And to me, that physical gear, I know it's superficial. I know it bothers people because you, you're you dying for this like small guy hero that you can have as your your go-to uh, you know, uh, uh, guy to root for because you can be like him. Okay, that's great. But I'm sorry that physicality does matter. I am six foot six. I weigh 227 pounds. I have a 6'10 wingspan. My ability to get separation against people on the perimeter is unparalleled compared to any small guard that I run into. 
I, I like my chances to generate a high-quality shot over any of those guys because I've put the work in to have that polish out there, but at the same time, I have these physical tools. And I'm not even in the same universe physically as what LeBron does, but I have five times the physical tools that Steph Curry has. And that sort of thing does matter. In a, in a physical playoff series that wears people down, and by game six and game seven, everyone's banged up, everyone's tired, but that 270-pound 6'9 guy, for whatever reason, can still get separation, and he can still get into your body and play bully ball and all those sorts of things. And I think that gap is significant, and that's the reason why, even at Steph's absolute best, I never thought he passed LeBron. Uh, in, in terms of what he brings on a basketball court. Good luck telling anybody that from Warriors Twitter. They're absolutely in love with the guy. And I think that's great. That's a fantastic part of, of the basketball fan experience. Uh, however, the vast majority of people that you talk to outside of Warriors Twitter, I feel like agree with me in that regard. There is a difference. Uh, there's a difference between you know being a really, really gifted offensive engine and the ability to hit that extra gear, uh, that, that extra... That extra gear is is the is the separation factor from the elite of the elite and, and the guys beneath them. Um, do you guys have any questions before I get you out of here? Let's see. Are you worried LeBron might not be fully healthy with his ankle sprain for the rest of the season? Yes, I am worried just because of the fact that uh, I don't love the idea of uh, all these other guys peaking and getting in a rhythm, guys like Giannis, guys like Kawhi, Kevin Durant's going to be coming back here shortly and having a lot of time to get ready. And then apparently there's a report that came out this morning that Sham said that, uh, or might have been last night, that Sham said that LeBron's going to be out at least another three to five weeks. Like, I don't love the idea of LeBron getting 10 regular season games and then jumping into a first-round series where he's got to play Steph Curry or he's got to play Luka Doncic or something along those lines. I don't love it. Uh, if there's one guy that can defy any sort of, of uh, you know, basic, uh, common, uh, uh, common sense type of approach to this sort of thing, it would be LeBron. Um, but I think we're all lying if we're acting like we're super optimistic about the way it's going to go. This is so far from ideal, it's not even funny. It's an impact injury. It's a lower leg injury, which means he's literally not able to work out right now. Like that, All of that is just not good. Uh, I will completely change my take about that if... He runs off a three, four game stretch where he just looks physically great um, uh, when he comes back. I wouldn't look at all at the way his jump shot looks or the way his handle looks or any of that stuff when he comes back. I would pay strict attention to just the way he's moving around in his mobility. All righty, let's see. Quick one on the last roster spot for the Lakers. Who's your pick? So I have a couple of names in mind there. Obviously, I would love to have Otto Porter, but it appears that he doesn't. Uh, appear to get it doesn't look like he's going to get bought out um uh, i was super high on uh uh, avery bradley as a backup option but i'm not sure he's necessarily going to get bought out uh avery bradley was the guy that i had in mind when i wanted the lakers to make the kyle lowry the kyle lowry trade uh but it's i mean honestly at this point you know you've got you've got a guard core that's five deep um and really really solid you've got uh uh kyle kuzma and lebron james on the wing and you've got five forwards in uh, Markeith, Marcus, or Markeith, Marcus Saul, uh, Montrez Harrell, Andre Drummond, and uh, and Anthony Davis. So you're, the Lakers are twelve deep right now. So they don't really need anything. Uh, it, it's just if if 
Otto Porter's just an absolute no-brainer, um, but I, I just don't think he'll get bought out. And for the record, if Otto Porter gets bought out and the Lakers sign him, that's that would be the best buyout guy out of any of these guys. Otto Porter's like a legitimate 3 and D guy um, and like good on both ends too. So he'd be an example of someone that would kind of be similar in impact to what LaMarcus Aldridge brings to the to the Nets. All right, last question. I'll get you guys out of here. How do you think Trez's role by, is affected by Drummond getting 30-plus minutes? I don't know. I would imagine uh, that Trez is going to continue to play a lot of minutes at the power forward. The Lakers played a lot of Montrez Harrell at the four this year. Um, they haven't played. They played him more at the five with Anthony Davis out, but I expect him to play a lot at the four the way he did to start the year. Uh, I think the guy that's going to get squeezed is Marcus All. All right, guys. Uh, th- uh, again, thank you guys so much for just persevering with me through that ridiculous Wi-Fi saga. I think from what I can tell on my end, that there were no drops today. So that's good news. Uh, as crazy as it sounds, I was so discouraged in the middle of that podcast on Friday that I was like, I, after I went back to listen to it just to see how bad it was. And I remember thinking like, this is going to be bad because I was so pissed off. I was literally just sitting in the chair, just like seething mad because I could not believe that this was still happening. Because uh, I thought I had it solved by doing the the, the phone hotspot thing. Um, anyway, uh, even with that, uh, over 200 of you downloaded the uh, um, uh, the, the full length podcast that butchered up terrible podcast that Raj and I did on Friday. So I sincerely appreciate you guys continuing to support us through the uh, through the chaos. But I will be here for every one of these recorded podcasts or so on. So I should have good infrastructure for this. I appreciate you guys supporting. I'll have the podcast version of this up here in about 15 minutes, and then I will see you guys on Friday. Enjoy the rest of your day.